following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Freedom is one of the major cravings of the human heart. Would you agree with that? It is, isn't it? And even as I make that statement, I visualize the Braveheart movie, William Wallace, about to lose his head, and he shouts out, what word? Freedom. People want to be free, to live, to worship, work, move about however they wish. In fact, as you all know very, very well, the human heart rebels against any kind of restraint or bondage or enslavement. It's like we have this unspoken code that goes something like this. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> it, it, and, and yet what is so interesting about all of that is when the human heart and the experience of day-to-day life are objectively and honestly evaluated, one tragic, undeniable fact jumps to the forefront. We are enslaved both to sin and to death. It's like one person said, I think it was some artist, maybe Picasso or somebody like that, says, I know everybody dies, I just never thought it would happen to me. <laughs> we cannot escape it. On, on this side of heaven, no one will be perfect and not sin, and obviously nobody escapes from dying. As much as we may dislike this truth, we are held in bondage to sin and death to both of them, this side of heaven. But when we really understand that and and embrace that, it's what I'm about to say that makes, makes it such good, awesome, great news. There is wonderful news. God can free us from sin and and from death because of Christ's death on the cross and atonement for our sin. We can do a whole lot better at living righteously and godly in this present life. And we inherit eternal life as well, but only by the power of God, right? Only by the power of God. This this is the important message of Isaiah chapter 41. And that is where we will be today. Here's the context of this chapter. God is confronting those who reject him and have instead turned to idolatry and false gods. But while he is confronting those who have defied him, he is also comforting others, those who have placed their trust in him, who obey him, are living for him. So he's confronting, he's comforting in this chapter. 
in this chapter, God gives some really good reasons to be encouraged. You see, some may say, well, I don't have anything to be happy about. It just seems that everything is against me. It just seems like it's just one great big uphill climb. Actually, every single one of us in this room, in spite of what our attitude might be ever now and then, every single one of us needs to shout out and re resonate a booming, thank you, Lord, for your promise. Because that even though I may forget them now and then, you never, ever forget. Aren't you thankful for that? His promises, he always remembers towards us. I think that's amazing. Something that we should be so, so thankful for. The question may come to mind, so, but why does God promise us anything? <laughs> I mean, after all, shouldn't we be the ones doing the promising back to him? Well, that sounds good. But the truth is, when we are born again, we begin to live under his grace. And when we find ourselves now living a whole new kind of life under his grace, that changes everything. As we will see in this passage, by his grace, he is the one who has picked us. Right? We have been chosen by him. It's not that we picked him first he picked us first we've been chosen by him therefore he will do everything to see that we are looked after in this journey that we find ourselves on that's promising isn't it and comforting and encouraging the preceding chapter where we were last week isaiah chapter 40 it contains the great promise of the exiles returning from their 70 years of captivity. Here in chapter 41, we are introduced to the one who God is going to raise up in order to accomplish the promise of his deliverance for his people, bringing them back to the promised land, to the land of Judah. God demonstrates his superiority over the idolaters, and their idols by his ability to foretell the rise to power of a guy by the name of Cyrus who would become the king of the Medes and Persians. But ultimately, of course, good news is the, the one that God will raise up to provide deliverance for all of us, amen, happens to be our Lord and Savior, our forever king, Jesus Christ. This chapter begins as if we were looking in onto a courtroom scene, okay? And it's a courtroom that I would not want to be in because in this scene, we have God inviting the idolaters with all of their kind of weird kinds of thoughts and then they're defying God and pushing him out of their lives. He's inviting them into having a conversation with them, kind of like, hey, let's get together and let's debate this. Let's see who comes out clear and on top. Let's look at this first verse. Isaiah 41 verse 1 says, Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. 
Let them come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. Be silent, the Lord says. Gather your thoughts is what he's saying here. Ready your arguments. Let's talk about it. Let's debate. The summons was issued to all nations and to all islands. This is Hebrew poetic way of God saying, everyone, even to the farthest, most distant corners of the world. Okay? This is what is being said here in this first verse. God has the power to execute judgment is what's coming out. He has the power to execute judgment on the wicked. And history, church, is rapidly, I think you would agree with me, rapidly moving toward that final day when that time arrives. The struggle between light and darkness, good and evil, righteousness and wickedness, faith and unbelief will finally be over. Can you say hallelujah? Can hardly wait. And those who truly believe and trust and obey God will survive. Those who don't, won't. Sadly, in Isaiah's day and in succeeding generations such as ours, people and nations were living in a cesspool of immorality and lawlessness and violence. Just the other day, I saw a window sticker on the back window of a car, and it said, live, laugh, love. Well, okay, so far so good. But then it finished out by saying, and if that doesn't work, load, aim, fire. Yeah. Lawlessness, violence. The people were steeped in idolatry and false worship. Despite all of that, God is still coming at them, still offering to them his arms wide open, still loving them, even in their messed up way of living. Despite all that, still loving the world, every individual, every nation. So God inspires the prophet Isaiah to issue yet another prophecy, a warning of coming judgment. All the people all the nations needed to know this very true fact. God has the power to execute judgment upon all who choose to defy him. Look at verses 2 through 4 with me now. It says, who has, raised, who has stirred up one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his service? He hands nations over to him and subdues kings before him. He turns them to dust with his sword, to windblown chaff with his bow. He pursues them and moves un unscathed by a path his feet have not traveled before. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord. With the first of them and with the last, I am he. In God's opening argument here, he says he is calling in righteousness. In other words, I want to make this clear. He's not saying that's right, that Cyrus 
is whom he's referring to is righteous. He's saying God, God is saying in his righteousness, God in his righteousness is calling and going to be raising up a man by the name of Cyrus to, to be used to bring about God's promises and fulfillments that he has made according to his prophetic word. And what can we just be reminded that everything God does is in righteousness? Amen. Everything is in his righteousness. And so he's saying even in his raising up someone to, to, to bring the just judgment upon the wicked, it's being done in God's righteousness. I want to make sure that we're, we're clear on that. So this Cyrus who would become king of the Medes and Persians He's the one who will overthrow Babylon and, be by used and will be used by God in a, in a very, very powerful way. God is asking two questions here. Keep in mind that God was giving Isaiah insight into the future day when judgment would be executed against the Babylonian Empire. God's first question directly addresses the issue of judgment. Who has the power to raise up a ruler to execute judgment on the nations? We see that in the first part of verse 2. There's really only one answer to that question. Amen? And the answer obviously is the holy and righteous one. The one and only, a favorite name of mine that I mentioned last week, the everlasting God. Yes. This one who would be raised up will conquer nations, defeating king after king and their armies. And once again, this is a prophetic announcement of Cyrus, king of Persia, in a compelling demonstration of this prophecy's accuracy. Isaiah revealed that the name of the king would be Cyrus. He's not named here in 41. He does get literally named in chapter 44 and again in chapter 45. Long before this king even appears on the scene. In other words, this prophecy is being made and Cyrus isn't even born yet. It's 160 years before he comes on the scene. <laughs> you got to love that. You know what? This is, this is biblical history, right? Undeniable biblical history that gets confirmed by world secular history. Irrefutable. You got to love that about God's word. So that's what is going on here. Prophetically, it is accurate. God's prophecies always are. Amen. The point being is this, church. The point being stressed here is God's sovereign power. It was his power alone that raised up Cyrus to execute judgment, destroying and dominating the wicked nations who had defied God, who had turned against him, who rebelled against him, and who also even persecuted those who were with God and obeying him. Now, let's take a step back for a moment, and I want you with your imaginations to picture a great big timeline chart stretched out in front of you, okay? I want you to imagine that. 
the Syrians would rise up and be used to conquer the northern kingdom known as Israel, ten tribes. It was the Assyrian nation that did that. And then the Babylonians would rise up and conquer the Assyrians and also take Judah, the southern kingdom, into captivity. But then the Medes and Persians, are you following the timeline? Then the Medes and Persians, led by this Cyrus, who is being prophesied about here in this 41st chapter, would come along and conquer the Babylonians, which would eventually, this is what's so cool, eventually lead to the return of the captives. God is sovereign, folks, <laughs> and he will do what he will do. I pray every time we gather, Lord, just come and do what you do in this place sovereignly. I love that about our God. God's second question has to do with the issue of sovereignty. First question, judgment. Second question, sovereignty. Who has the power to control the affairs of mankind? the behavior of the nations, the people down through history. We see that in verse 4. Today, we can look back through history and see that the prophecy concerning Cyrus actually did take place. What God said would happen, happened. Cyrus did what God had purposed, carrying out God's judgment upon the nations of that day and time. And so from both a biblical and historical perspective, God is sovereign over the entire world at all times. That's good for us to keep reminding ourselves of, especially in our time. Would you agree? I mean, I know that there are those who would say, and there's some truth to it, that every generation since the garden has had its issues, and has had its depravity, and has had its perversions. But my opinion happens to be, but never has the depravity and has the perversion been off the charts like it is today, worldwide. God is sovereign, and but he's working. He'll confront, but he also com comforts, amen for those who will trust him and obey him. Who has the power to execute judgment, control the affairs of hum the human race? God alone, amen, has the power. He is the first and the last, it says here. By first, it is meant that he preceded all generations of people and nations on earth and, in fact, brought them into being, right? He's the creator. By last, it is meant that he will still be existing and overseeing the last generation at the end of human history. He is the first. He is the last. He is our everlasting God. He is the eternal God. He is the Lord of all history. He is sovereignly ruling over us. And hang on to your seats, folks. That means then that he has the right, he has every right to tell you what to do. Yeah. 
to, sh to tell you how to live. Right here. Our life manual on how to live and how to trust and how to believe and how to obey Him. Amen? And of course, His having the right to tell us how to live is for our own good. Amen? It's not because He's got this pride problem of having to be the boss, even though he is the boss, <laughs> but it's in his love. It is in his compassion for us that he'll do that. Amen? Look at verse 5 with me now as we read a few verses here. The islands have seen it and fear. The ends of the earth tremble. They approach and come forward. They help each other and say to their companions, be strong. The metal worker encourages the goldsmith and the one who smooths with the hammer spurs on the one who strikes the anvil. One says of the welding, it is good. The other nails down the idol so it will not topple. What is all of this about? <laughs> In descriptive language, God states the twofold purpose of his coming judgment. These two purposes not only reveal the true heart of our God, but they also reveal the true heart of those who have defied him and reject him. In executing judgment, God's first purpose is to strike fear in people. Now, Right there, if we were to stop there, that would kind of leave some kind of teetering on, well, what kind of God is that? Let's finish that out, okay? His first purpose in the judgment is to strike fear in people in order to awaken them, to provoke them to turn to him and repent. This past Thursday evening in our men's study, we we're asking the question and discussing the question about, um, you know, has there been a, an incident in your life? Has there been an event in your life that was sort of like what we were referring to as a, the aha moment where something took place and, and you kind of like realized, boy, I need God. <laughs> I mean, even for as already followers of Christ, already Christians, but man, I really, I really need him. And, and it was like, most of the responses had to do with two things. Either it was because of an accident that could have possibly been meant death, but, you know, survived. And then the other one was, was when they hear that, those words from a doctor that nobody ever wants to hear, we found cancer. And it took those things to grab their attention to have their aha moment and awaken and turn to God. This is his purpose. It's not because he's a mean God. It's because he's a loving God. And if that's what it takes, amen? 
Isaiah predicts here in verse 5 that when the islands or nations saw the hand of God's judgment being executed through Cyrus, they would fear and tremble under the weight of the judgment. God's second purpose for justly bringing judgment is to show the true colors of some, to reveal that the people were trusting in one another and in their false gods, which is what's going on there in verses 6 and 7. Isaiah is prophetically declaring that the nations would run to one another to seek help and to try to form alliances against the Persian war machine that was coming their way. They would encourage one another to be strong, to turn to their, not God, but to their idols and false gods for help. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again right here. Sin makes us stupid. Because <laughs> that's pretty stupid. They would even build new and better idols, hoping to secure their favor as they opposed the Persian army. Of course, their idols and their false gods were of no use when the Persians showed up. And keep in mind that God's purpose was to send judgment against the nations because of their wickedness and their false worship. One of the wicked hearts, once the wicked hearts and idolatry of the people were exposed, then there would be hope that there would be a turning of some to the living God, away from the idols, away from the false gods, and to the one true living everlasting God. You see, at the core of God's action always is redemption. Amen? Always. At the core of whatever it is he does. God knows the heart and he knows the behavior of us all. Whether good or bad, righteous or wicked. And as he warned the generations of Isaiah's time, so he warns all generations, including ours today. The day of judgment is coming. We will all give an account for what we have done or are doing that's not a fear tactic, folks. It is truth to help us to get right with God and to stay right with God throughout our lives. The motivation for God's judgment must always be remembered. Judging us from a heart of love and compassion, he seeks to save us and to keep us from not only harming ourselves, but also others who are in our lives. Amen? Exposing the truth of our sinful hearts and behavior should stir us towards repentance. Please hear that. It is for this reason that God disciplines and judges us when we sin against him. Repentance is our only hope to escape God's judgment. 
Now, at this point, that's when you need to already be thinking and something stirring within your heart that says, that's really good news. <laughs> and it is good news because Isaiah does not leave us hanging here in chapter 41 in the doom and gloom of judgment. And I'm so thankful for that. Not only does God have the power to execute judgment justly in his confronting, but he also takes that power and transfers it into a, a power to comfort us. It is a power to protect and to provide and to bless, to lead, to guide us in a better way of living. Look at verses 8 and 9 now with me. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. I, I, you know, if I'm uh, an Israelite and I've just been hearing about all this doom and gloom of judgment and then I'm hearing this, I'm starting to smile again. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's good to hear. Verse 9, I took you from the ends of the earth. From as farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you. And I have not rejected you. This is a wonderful assurance to all believers who are aware that they fail and often fall so short of God's glory. Israel, too, failed the Lord repeatedly and miserably, disappointing God, as you know, over and over and over again. Nevertheless, you've been around a while and listened to me preach. I like this word that I'm about to say, nevertheless. I use it all the time. <laughs> nevertheless, the Lord loves his people and never ceased to reach out to them. Are you hearing that for your own personal life? Because the enemy loves to come and do this, doesn't he? You're no good. You're never going to be any good. How could you even begin to take seriously the idea that God loves you, cares for you, will protect you and provide for you, that he's preparing a home for you in eternity? And that's when we got to tell that voice to shut up, right? And start listening to the voice of our loving, everlasting God who continues to love us, who continues to take his power and utilize that power to bless us, to protect us and provide for us. So God stirred Isaiah to give strong, persuasive encouragement and hope to the people. I hope this morning that that is exactly what you are receiving into your heart by the Spirit of God. Strong, persuasive encouragement of hope. 
that God is yours, that he is for you, committed to you. And so these people that Isaiah is initially speaking to and prophesying to, which include us, but in his day, if they truly believed and they would truly follow God, he would use that power, his power, divine power, power that no one can compare to, to deliver them from their captivity and would protect and provide them. And note with me the assurance and promises that God gives to them. He says God assured his people that they were chosen by him, verses 8 and 9. Note that God himself is the one speaking. He's the one addressing them as Israel, my servant, and Jacob, whom I have chosen. In case you were not aware, every time in Old Testament, when you see that term Jacob, that is not necessarily a compliment. <laughs> it's God just reminding Israel of Jacob, who was known for what? His trickery, his deceptions, right? And God's saying, that's who you are, but it doesn't keep me from loving you and reaching out to you and offering you a better way. He then calls them the descendants of Abraham, his friend. God had always pursued a close relationship with the Israelites, even those of Isaiah's day, offering them the privilege of closely knowing him and walking with him. He offers that to us today. Are you taking him up on that? Are you still caught up with this world and loving it and desiring it above God? Because of this, he would not forget them in their hour of trial if they would just turn to him. Make him their priority. He would not reject them. He would set them free from the Babylonian captivities so that they could indeed return to the promised land. Church, there's a promised land for us, right? Now, of course, you know, we know that there's the kingdom of God, heaven waiting for us, and we think of that as promised land, but there's one even now that we can live in. Didn't Jesus tell it that I come that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full? That's present. That's in the here and now. Promised land. Of course, hopefully we all know that we have given God plenty of reasons to reject this. Isn't, isn't that beautiful what he says? I have chosen you and I have not rejected you, yet every single one of us know in our hearts we've given all kinds of reasons to reject us. It's like if God's covenant with us and acceptance of us were based on our daily performance, there's not a single one of us that would make it through a single day. Amen? Left to ourselves. We wouldn't make it and remain in relationship with him by the end of the day. But the wonder of his covenant with us is that it is founded upon his choice. Wow. Let that sink in, would you? He has chosen us. He has called us. 
from the farthest corners of the world. And he says he will not cast us away. We will never be able to overcome worry or fear or anything for that matter that holds us back without a proper understanding of the power of God's grace. Without it, you will end up in discouragement and in doubt and even in despair. When horrible, terrible thoughts come to us, we must remind ourselves of God's wonderful, amazing grace, which says to us, I called you, I chose you, I love you, I have not rejected you, I will not reject you. Only the grace of God that can help us to overcome whatever it is that needs to be overcome in our lives. His promises help us put everything in its right and proper perspective. Would you agree with that? How's your perspective these days? It puts us and helps us keep things in right perspective, teaching us, encouraging us, reminding us to keep our eyes on Jesus our minds, our hearts on the hope of eternity and to live in the light of that reality. Are there mountains in your life that you don't think you can climb? Are there any rivers in your life that you don't think you can cross? Are there fires burning, raging, threatening to consume you? Well, listen to something that Isaiah wrote just a couple of chapters from here. Isaiah 43, verses 2 through 4. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Think parting of the Red Sea. Think the stopping of the Jordan River so they can enter the promised land. When you walk through the fire, think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious and honored in my sight. Please let that be personally to you. Please, please, please. You are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. Remember that God's truth doesn't change. His purposes don't change. His son doesn't change. And so this unchanging God is the one who is with you and for you and says personally to you. Let's look at it again. Last part of verse 9 and into verse 10. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous 
right hand. These are his promises for your journey, church. Take them. Believe them. Live them every day, every hour, relying on his strength and on his power. For after all, it is God who has spoken. This is his way. Let's walk in it. Amen. Amen. Father, we come before you and we have so much to be thankful for. And, and I'm just trusting, Lord, that I've, as I have prayed previously, I, I, I pray again that you would indeed awaken our hearts to the things of God, to the things that pertain to you and your kingdom. That we would be awakened in the sense that we would realize like more than ever that it's time to take serious your word, God. It's time to not just be a hearer of the word, but become a doer of the word. It's time that we understand and realize just because we've been in church doesn't mean that we can just check off the list. Encourage us. Challenge us, God. That we've got to take these things that we find in God's word that make their ways into sermons and messages and embrace them and obediently live them. Change us, transform us, oh God, to be more like you. Again, like I said last week, this world will never, ever be changed until we, your people, first are changed. And that change begins from within. Change our hearts, oh God, and make us more like you. Let this be our prayer forevermore. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift